You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So last week, uh, Pastor David Mathis, toward the end of his sermon, he says something about where we are here in the story of Exodus. I just want to mention what he said again here at the start. Pastor Mathis said that chapter 6 with the genealogy of Moses and Aaron is kind of like the intermission in the narrative. And then as chapter 7 opens, we sort of turn the corner because Moses moves forward with obedience and the dominoes begin to fall. And when Pastor Mathis said dominoes, he meant plagues, okay? If you're familiar with the story of Exodus or if you're even familiar with just the Bible in general, you have probably heard something about the plagues before. There are 10 disastrous plagues that God brings upon the land of Egypt. And we're going to read about these uh, from chapter 7 through chapter 12. And because this is such a dense portion of scripture, I just want to take a minute and give you a heads up for how we're planning to work through these chapters over the next few weeks. Okay, so few things to mention here. First is today, we are planning to cover nine of the 10 plagues. Okay, that's today's sermon. All right, just breathe. We're okay. We're going to be okay. Next week, Pastor Joe is going to do one sermon on the 10th plague. And then the next week, there's going to be one sermon on the pillar of fire. Then the next week, there's going to be one sermon that focuses just on the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. What that, what, what does that mean? And then God willing, by November 17th, we will be crossing the Red Sea. That's that's the plan. But today, uh, we're we're not there yet. We've got to turn that corner, like Pastor David Mathis mentioned last week. We have to push that first domino. That's what the sermon is this morning. And there's a lot of ground to cover, but I want to mention three lessons that I think we learn here in this passage. Okay, these are three things that we're going to slow down and look at. Number one, obedience is greater than fear. Number two, precision is greater than power. And then number three, Yahweh is greater than all. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, as Josh has just prayed, we, we thank you for this moment as we are gathered here with your Bible open before us. And we ask this morning that as your word is open before us, open our hearts to your word. We believe by your grace that you have good for us. You have good for us here. So accomplish all that you will. Accomplish that good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll, we'll start here with obedience is greater than fear. Take a look for a minute at chapter 7, verse 1. And it might help to pretend that there's no chapter break here. What God says in verse 1 is actually an answer to Moses' question in chapter 6, verse 30, which Pastor Josh first read there. This is all one conversation between God and Moses, and it goes back to the end of chapter 5, okay? So let me just give you a rundown of what this conversation is. Remember that back at the end of chapter 5, after Pharaoh refuses to listen to Moses but just continues to oppress Israel, Moses turns to Yahweh and he says, what are you doing, Yahweh? 
What is going on here? Why did you ever send me to Pharaoh? This is not going like how I thought it would go. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Yahweh answers Moses. He knows that Pharaoh didn't listen to Moses. He knows that Pharaoh is not going to listen to Moses. But that's not the end of the story. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, we see that Yahweh is going to make his name known by setting Israel free through great acts of judgment on the Egyptians. And so Yahweh commands Moses, go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And as we saw last week, Moses, he balks at this. Moses stutters here. He is reluctant once again to follow through with this commission. And chapter 6, verse 30, exposes the reason for his doubt. Moses thinks this is a worthless endeavor. He says in verse 30, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? In other words, he's saying, this is not going to work. Me, me with my uncircumcised lips, me talking to Pharaoh will not get the job done. Pharaoh is not going to listen to me. And then Yahweh answers Moses in chapter 7, verse 1. And in short, Moses is right. Pharaoh's not going to listen to him. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So yeah, Moses, you're right. Pharaoh is not going to listen. In fact, I'm going to compound my signs and wonders in Egypt. I'm going to pull out all the stops and still Pharaoh is not going to listen. And this is Moses' greatest fear. This is his greatest fear. What, what's happening here is that Yahweh is confirming that Moses' greatest fear is exactly what's going to happen. Pharaoh is not going to listen. But then in verse 6, we see this really important note in the text. This is a, this is a break. If you're reading through it, you see this is a break from the conversation between God and Moses. Almost like it's like an, an editor's note put in here. We're told in verse 6, simply, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as Yahweh commanded them. Now, this is, this is important because this is the first time in this story we see Moses take the next step without any pushback. There's no excuses here, no reluctance. There's no if and but going on here. Moses is obeying God. Now, why? That's the question. Why here? Why does Moses do 
what Yahweh has commanded him. Why now? It's because for the first time, Moses understands that Pharaoh not listening is part of the plan. See, I think Moses before now, he has had a a pretty one-dimensional view of how all this is supposed to go. He's supposed to go to Pharaoh. He's supposed to say what Yahweh says. Pharaoh does what Yahweh says, and then we're good, right? This is how this is supposed to go. The worst-case scenario for Moses is for Pharaoh not to listen to him because he knows that if Pharaoh doesn't listen to him, that's going to mean the oppression increases. We've already seen it happen twice. We know, Moses knows, that when Pharaoh feels threatened by Israel, it's dangerous for Israel. Pharaoh not listening means more than Pharaoh not listening. There will be consequences when you demand something of the world's highest earthly power, and he disagrees. And Moses is afraid of that disagreement. But it's part of Yahweh's design. That's what Yahweh is doing here in these first five verses. In these first five verses of chapter 7, he is letting Moses in on what he's going to do. Yes, Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen. Pharaoh is not going to listen to you, verse 4 Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Now Moses, he sees the bigger picture. He understands that Yahweh is actually at work in all of this. Hear this. God, Yahweh, is actually at work in the thing that Moses most fears. He understands for the first time, Yahweh is actually at work in the thing that I most fear. And therefore, Moses' action, his submission to the plan overcomes the fear that had previously held him back. Moses' obedience becomes greater than his fear. And there's something that we can learn here. Because all obedience, if it is meaningful obedience, all obedience, if it's meaningful obedience, is greater than fear. It has to be. But think about this. Isn't it fear? Isn't fear the main thing that tries to keep us from obedience? And when I, when I say obedience here, I'm talking about God's calling on us to do the right thing. So much of this is spelled out for us in the Bible, but then every day there are hundreds of ways that we must apply the Bible to our situations. 
right? Think about your situations, your challenges, all of the details going on in your life. What makes it so hard to obey God in those details is fear. We are afraid that obedience will cost us too much. We're afraid that obedience is going to cause that thing to happen. What if Pharaoh won't listen? What if he won't listen? This is where we need, like Moses, to remember that God has a plan. God has a design for the world. He has a purpose to make his name known. God will display his glory for the ultimate blessing of his people. And everything that happens, big or small, good or bad, success or failure, everything that happens is all working toward that ultimate goal. And so you plant the church even if it won't grow. It might not grow. You plant the church even though it might not grow. You foster the child even though it might break your heart. You give financially even though it might mean missing out on something else. You do the hard thing. You take the risk. You swim in the deep end because you know that God has a plan and God is at work and obedience is greater than fear. That's what's going on here with Moses. That's what's happening in Exodus chapter 7. Moses' obedience overcomes his fear, and that's what happens in all meaningful obedience in the Christian life. Second thing, precision is greater than power. Now, at this point, we are jumping into the plagues, okay? Um, We're going to come back to verses 8 to 13, but I want to go ahead and skip now to chapter 7, verse 14, and... Uh, if, you know, most of our English Bibles helpfully have these headers above the, the plagues. And so it kind of helps us know kind of where we are as we're working through these plagues. That's good. That's helpful. If you're looking at uh, verse 14, um, you probably see it has a heading like the first plague, colon, water turns to blood. You guys see something like that? That's a good, those are helpful. We're going to look, look at those as we're walking through here. Um, but before we get into each of the plagues, we're going to look at nine of them. I want to highlight first the purpose and the nature of the plagues. And we see the purpose again straightforward in chapter 7, verse 5. Yahweh will do these great acts of judgment, these plagues. He's going to do these so that the Egyptians will know that he is Yahweh. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the plagues do not make Pharaoh release the people of Israel. God is clear about that in verse 3. He says, I'm going to multiply the signs and wonders. I'm going to multiply signs and wonders in Egypt. I'm going to do these incredible things. And still, Pharaoh is not going to listen. So the purpose of the plagues, we just, just get this category here. The purpose of the plagues is not persuasion, it's revelation. Pharaoh is not going to listen, but he's going to see He's going to understand 
what it means that Yahweh is Yahweh. That's the purpose of the plagues. And like we saw a couple weeks ago, that purpose statement gets repeated over and over again in these chapters. We see it over and over again that all of this that Yahweh is doing, all of this is so that they may know that I am Yahweh. How? Okay, so we, we get the purpose of the plagues so that they might know that Yahweh is Yahweh. But what about the nature of the plagues? When I was a freshman in college, I had my uh, first semester, freshman in college, had this religion uh, 101 class. And I know, this is, I know this sounds strange, but there actually are people who devote their entire careers to teaching the Bible as if it's not a supernatural book, okay? Like, they, they, they give all of their academic life to basically trying to dispute the Bible, and they, they teach all the stories in the Bible with a twist, and that was my religion 101 class. I had one of those classes, and I remember in this class, um, uh, when we got to the Exodus and we got to the plagues, that apparently there are all kinds of naturalistic explanations for what's going on here. Okay, so they, they say that the water turning to blood was actually caused by the soil, and then the frogs multiplied because amphibians bred uh, really well in that soil, and so did gnats, apparently. And then the flies were attracted to all the dead frogs. And then the livestock and the boils were related to a disease from the flies, which, uh, which came from the frogs, which came from the red soil. It's kind of like a Dr. Seuss book. It's kind of how they, how they present this thing. Um, basically, naturalists... They, they look at this ancient account and they say, these are just natural occurrences that some hysterical religious people have overblown. So, some people think there's, there's nothing special happening here in the plagues. But the truth is, if, if we're paying attention to the text, the only option for how to understand these plagues is that Yahweh calls them from A to Z. These are not ironic happenings in nature. These are the results of Yahweh's sovereign word. And we see that not mainly in the power of these plagues, but in their precision. We're going to walk through the plagues. Notice they get more and more precise. Plague one, the Nile turns into blood, right? But, but it wasn't just the Nile. It was every piece of water that belonged to the Egyptians. So like their vessels of wood and their vessels of stone also turn to blood. Imagine every, every Egyptian's Yeti turned to blood. That's the everything turned to blood. Everything that was water anywhere turned to blood. So that's, that's pretty precise, right? So plague number two, you have the frogs. And the frogs really got under Pharaoh's skin because in chapter 8, verse 8, Pharaoh asked Moses to plead with Yahweh to make the frogs go away. He will, Pharaoh wants the frogs to go. But notice how Moses responds in verse 9. He says to, to Pharaoh, let me know when you want me to ask Yahweh to take the frogs away. 
And you would think Pharaoh would say, now, like right now, take him go away. But instead, look what Pharaoh actually says. He says, tomorrow. See, I think Pharaoh is testing Moses here. Is this God of the Hebrews, is Yahweh really so sovereign that he can control nature within all the details of space and time? Moses is like, yeah, yeah, he can. That's the point of the frogs. That is how, Moses says in verse 10, that is how you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. It's the precision. So, Pharaoh, you want it to be tomorrow? Okay. Tomorrow it is. Tomorrow, the frogs in your house, the frogs in your servants' houses, all the frogs everywhere besides the Nile. Besides the Nile, all the frogs everywhere in Egypt will die. And the one frog in the palace looked at another frog and said, let us eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we croak. You, you got okay. So, and they did. They all die. We doing okay? We doing okay? All right. They all die. All these frogs died. Plague three, the gnats. Now, the thing with these gnats is, is that this is the first plague that the, the Egyptian magicians can't mimic. Somehow, the first two plagues the Egyptian magicians could do, it was you know, sleight of hand, demonic influence, I'm not sure, but somehow the magicians could make the water red and they could breed frogs fast. But the gnats, they couldn't do the gnats. And so the magician said to Pharaoh, okay, look, this is the finger of Elohim. This is God. We're not dealing with magic anymore, Pharaoh. Like there is a God behind this, but they didn't, they still didn't understand who. So we keep going, take four. The flies. Now the thing about these flies is they were everywhere in Egypt, except in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. That was the, the Israeli ghetto. They, they weren't, no, no flies were there. Chapter 8, verse 22. Again, this is precision, see. It's, it's by this precision, verse 22, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Yahweh, again, is sovereign over space and time. Because he is Yahweh, he can say, here, not there. Same thing with the livestock, fifth plague. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. Not a single one of the livestock of Israel died. Yahweh took out the livestock, power. Only the Egyptian livestock, precision. Same thing with the boils. The, the, these sores came over all the Egyptians, and they were so severe that the magicians who had been hanging out at the palace commenting on the plagues, they can't even stand anymore. They're covered in, they can't even stand. And so they have to leave, and Pharaoh is losing people. Things, things are reducing now. Seventh plague. 
This was the hill. And, and, and this, this plague is like, this is cranked up a notch, okay? In verse 14, Yahweh says, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. Now, in Hebrew, that, that, and you may see this in a footnote, that on you yourself means on your heart. This plague, somehow, there's a personal dynamic here when it comes to Pharaoh and these plagues. And this is like all the plagues so far rolled into one plague. This is so far the most cutthroat plague. All the plagues are combined and they're coming right at Pharaoh's chest. And when Yahweh sent the hell, it, it wasn't normal hell. It was hell and fire together in verse 24. It, it, it literally, it was, it was hell like hell raining down from the sky and it completely decimated everything it touched. Imagine this. Everything it touched was destroyed. Every person, every animal, every plant, every tree that it touched, it destroyed. But it didn't come near the people of Israel. Precision, see, precision. And this is where it gets intense because look what Pharaoh says in, in verse 27. This is chapter 9, verse 27. After the hell, Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. And this is important because Pharaoh here is speaking in moral categories. He admits that he has sinned. And the category of sin can only exist when you have a recognition of authority. Pharaoh is beginning to understand that Yahweh is just not another God like the Egyptian pantheon. The God of the Hebrews, he's different. But, but Moses knows he still doesn't get it, and so there's more. And each time you're going to notice in the text, each time these plagues come, there's a phrase that says that Pharaoh hardened his heart or Pharaoh strengthened his heart, or sometimes it's that Yahweh himself hardens Pharaoh's heart. And that's a, a big deal, okay? It's such a big deal that we're going to spend one whole sermon j just talking about that. We're going to just talk about that. But for now, just note that it's happening, okay? This is a dynamic here, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Now, eighth plague, locust. Now, before the locust come, there's a warning. Verse four. You guys find that, find that eighth plague, the locust. In verse four, Moses tells Pharaoh, if you refuse to let Israel go, tomorrow the locusts are going to come and the locusts are going to clean up. They're going to mop up after the hell. Whatever the hell didn't destroy, the locusts, I'm going to take care of that. And the implications here are obvious. Now, after hell, after locusts, all the crops in Egypt would be gone, which means the economy of Egypt is evaporated. I mean, it's just gone. So we're not talking about natural catastrophe here. We're, we're talking about financial ruin, okay? That gets the attention of a guy like Pharaoh. We imagine that Pharaoh... He probably used the economy over and over again to boost his ratings with the public, you know, in Egypt. And he can't do that anymore. And his servants recognize it first because they come to him and they urge him, let, just let the men of Israel go. And so now he starts to warm up and, and he starts to come around. And um, 
He doesn't want to release all of Israel, though. He wants to make a deal. We, Pharaoh's a deal. He's a, he's a dealer. That's what he, he's trying to cut a deal here with Moses. And so he, he asked Moses in verse 8, he says, Moses, okay, look, how, how many are we talking here? How, how many do you want to go with you to, to worship this Yahweh? And Moses says, everybody. This is a feast. We're going to feast with Yahweh. Everybody's going to go. The young, the old, the sons, the daughters, we're all going, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, of course, says no. He's not going to let Israel go. And so the locusts come with precision, just like Yahweh said, and they ate everything, everything. Verse 15 says not a green thing was left. Could you imagine that? We've seen photos of, of, of natural catastrophe. Imagine this, the wreckage here. Not a green thing was left. The, the ninth plague is darkness, and in the darkness, what's been true metaphorically is now actual. There is darkness everywhere in Egypt for three days, and it's darkness so dark that nobody can see anybody. But, verse 23, the people of Israel had light where they live, where they went, where they were. How is that? So dark, you can't see anyone for three days, but the people of Israel had light. Again, it's precision. It's the kind of precision that defies any kind of natural occurrence. None of this is a coincidence. There is not a circle of life thing happening here, okay? Yahweh is intervening into the natural world. He is reaching into space and time, and he is causing each of these things to happen with scrupulous intention. Here, not there. Those, not these. Tomorrow, not today. That is the kind of sovereign Yahweh is. That is how Yahweh makes his name known. This is how Pharaoh and all of us will know that he is Yahweh. It is not by divine muscle, but by divine meticulousness. Because precision is greater than power. Precision is greater than power. He is that kind of sovereign. Sovereign over details, sovereign over moments, sovereign over inches. See, look, Pharaoh, he understood magic. Pharaoh understood magic and powers. He believed the Egyptian pantheon, Pharaoh believed in all kinds of gods. And he believed that these gods did things in the world. But he did not understand how the holy sovereignty of Yahweh puts all these little G gods to shame. Now, if we skip ahead to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 12, we can actually read a line about this. It'll be in the sermon next week. This is the 10th plague. Um, the 10th plague is the plague to end all plagues. And when Yahweh comments on that plague, he says in verse 12, on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. This is part of how Yahweh makes his name known. He executes judgment on the little g gods of Egypt, which he has done by precision over power. See, there's a message here. The message behind precision being greater than power is that Yahweh is greater than all. And that's the last point. Yahweh 
is greater than all. That's the substance, that's the message of how Yahweh makes his name known. It's that he is in a category by himself. He is not like what you think. He's greater. He's better. That's the lesson that Pharaoh has to learn. And it's a lesson that actually comes before the first plague. Pharaoh just missed it. Turn back now to chapter 7 real fast. Chapter 7. Remember that there's, a, there's this first sign that Moses is supposed to do in chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord tells Moses that Pharaoh is going to ask him to prove himself. Pharaoh is going to want to see if Moses is, is legit. So he's going to ask Moses to do this miracle. And, and the miracle is that Moses is going to tell Aaron to throw down his staff and the staff will become a serpent. That's, that's his legitimizing miracle. And so they do that. But then in verse 11, Pharaoh summoned the magicians and they did the same thing. And there's a parallel here we need to see. Back in chapter 7, verse 1, remember, Yahweh told Moses that Moses was going to be like God to Pharaoh. Moses will dictate, Aaron will do. Moses represents God, Aaron represents his prophet. And that's what's happening here. Moses says, cast down the staff. Aaron, cast down the staff. Notice what Pharaoh does. After Moses does this, after Aaron does that, Pharaoh summoned the magicians and told them to cast down their staffs, which also became serpents. So if we're paying attention here, we see that Pharaoh is trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Moses. You guys see that? He's trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Moses. He is directing the magicians like Moses directed Aaron. But the thing is, Moses here is acting like God. Which means the conflict here, the beef here, this is not about Pharaoh and Moses. This is about Pharaoh and Yahweh. And so once again here, just like we saw in chapter 5, Pharaoh is putting himself forward as Yahweh's rival. Pharaoh is contesting the authority of Yahweh. Look, he says, we can make serpents too. Watch this. Watch this. Magicians. Watch. Do it. Boom. We can make serpents too. Snakes from serpents, not a big deal. We can do that. And we have to wonder why in the world would the Lord give Moses a sign that was so easily copied, right? This, is the fir this first sign could have been anything, right? But instead, he makes it something that Pharaoh can mimic. Why do that? Well, it's because the staff turning into a serpent is not the sign. The sign isn't over yet. Look at, look at the last part of verse 12. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. That's the sign. A staff represents rule and authority. And here the message is clear. The rule and authority of Yahweh devours all the powers of Egypt. That's the lesson. Yeah, there, there are gods in Egypt. Okay, we'll, we'll give there, there are powers, influences, authorities, principalities. Okay, those things exist in Egypt. power of God, the authority of God, the sovereignty of Yahweh devours 
every other authority. And Pharaoh could have seen that here. He could have, he could have seen that here, but he misses it in chapter 7, verse 12. And so Moses is going to have to show him the same thing 10 more times so that Pharaoh and everyone knows that Yahweh is Yahweh. Yahweh is greater than all. And that's the purpose here. This is, this, that's the purpose here. And that's the most relevant thing for your life. Yahweh is greater than all. It's the most relevant thing for your life. Whatever you're going through right now, what, there's so many things. Whatever you're going through today, whatever challenges that you're up against, Yahweh is greater. He is even greater than your worst enemy. Sometimes it can feel like, it can feel like we have a lot of enemies. It can, it can feel like sometimes a lot is against us. But I want to remind you that your worst enemy is sin and death. That has been our worst enemy since Genesis 3. But the good news is that Yahweh is greater. How great, how great. So great that all of your sins have been paid for. In Colossians chapter two, the apostle Paul, he gives us his image and he says in Colossians 2.13 that God ha has made us alive with Christ, forgiving us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Okay, so a record of debt is pretty specific. We would assume that, that this includes everything that has to do with cost, the where, the when, the how, all of it, okay? We are not talking here in Colossians 2. This is not about generic matters of sin. These are trespasses, plural. This is your record, man, okay? This is my record that Paul talks about here. Our record. It's everything every single thing that really stands against us. And Paul says that God took that record and he set it aside. The image, the image. He took your record, your record. He took it and he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Precision. Precision. Do you know that if you trust in Jesus, it means that when Jesus died for you, he died precisely for you. He died for you, for your sins, your trespasses, your offenses against God. He died for you. Jesus paid precisely for your sins, every single one of your sins. And in doing that, he put the devil to shame. Yahweh is greater and not just over sin, but also over death. Because on the third day, when Jesus was raised from the dead, that resurrection was God the Father highly exalting him and bestowing on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, listen now, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ 
Christ is Yahweh. To the glory of God the Father, Yahweh is greater than sin and death. Yahweh is greater than all. And we celebrate that at this table. Every Sunday when we gather and worship, we are celebrating that Yahweh is greater. And Jesus gives us this table to remind us of that. This table reminds us of his death. The, the bread here represents the body of Jesus. And the cup here represents the blood of Jesus. And when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are symbolizing our faith. We are recognizing our union with Jesus. We are recognizing that his greatness is for our good. We are recognizing that the supremacy of Jesus is for our salvation. We will eat and drink to that. We will give thanks to Jesus for that. And so this, this morning, if you would do that, if you would give thanks to Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, we invite you to this table. We're going to serve the bread first. Just hold it, and then we'll eat it all together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.